Hello and welcome to One Inch by Scary Podcast. This is Kirsty Sayer. It is October 19th, 2022. And I hope you are doing well, darlings. I am delighted to be with you. I am here with my ever-present guest, Shark Asaya, the dog. He um, is accompanying me today um, in order to contribute his loud sighs, often disapproving in nature, and some light snoring. Um, I keep him by my side because he is a lot less likely to scratch on the floor and the door and possibly bark at the ever-present workmen on our streets. So there you have it. Um, we, as usual, have some um, competition. I have somebody on my street this week is getting a new roof. And the people working on that roof are very enthusiastic about the job. They seem to like each other and they're very cheerful. Um, so if you hear their joyful shouts <laughs> and the banging on the roof, I apologize. There is very precious little um, moments between some kind of machinery or leaf blower or lawnmower or new roof or tree being cut down around here. People are bustling. For some reason, my very leafy, quiet street is the least quiet street of leafy that you can find in America. But we will push on. Um, when last we spoke, I think it was about a week and a half ago, I was just kind of reveling in the sense of accomplishment in something I'd done, but more so in the way that I was just enjoying um, it being out of my hands and how I was super um, proud of myself for the attempt and for being engaged in the attempt rather than being stressed out by and um, really preoccupied with how the outcome would go. I just applied to grad school. It had been a fairly arduous process. I had um, just I believe the day before um, or maybe two days before I'd had my final interview which had been um, pretty rigorous it had been enjoyable but quite you know there were several balls in the air during it um, some things that I wasn't accustomed to doing and I was now just sitting in the aftermath the waiting and I was told that it would be between four to eight weeks of the waiting and typically in the past, when I've had to wait for something that, you know, would um, generate um, a lot of concern for me. And it obviously, the more um, impactful the decision would have be on my life one way or the other, the more anxious I would be. And I think that's a pretty relatable thing. You know, we uh, tend to like to know which direction our lives are going in, even though it's really an illusion. <laughs> Because none of us know from one day to the next what's actually going to happen. But we like to have a general idea. Um, and we like to feel like we're in charge of the bus, right? We really like that. We thrive on it. And especially those of us who had tumultuous or traumatic um, childhoods, we are especially attached to this illusion of control over our environment, over our lives, over what's going to happen. And so that's something I've dealt with a lot. I've been... Um, very controlling over the years or very anxious in when I perceive a lack of control. And, you know, as I've said so many other times on this podcast, we, we don't control 
the outcomes of almost anything. We only control our engagement in things. We only control what we decide to attempt um, and, you know, the things that we're doing in this moment. And then we have to really relinquish um, attachments to outcomes if we're not going to be a total stress case and burning up all of our energy and our capacity to cope with the rest of life's rigors and demands. So I was actually enjoying being on top of that for a change and just being hella proud of myself for taking um, a big step um, when I hadn't really felt ready, when I'd been in a real lull, I'd been in a big deep hole of um, almost like a identity crisis. You know, my kids had left and things in my life were looking as different as they ever had. They, I didn't know, you know, what my role or purpose was. I was, had a sense of, um, not being worthy, not being valuable. It was gross, you know, and I'd also just been really out of touch with my own emotions. I'd kind of disassociated to just get through the last few months. So we were talking about that in the last podcast. And I think, Everybody at some point in their life has had a little glimmer of some of those emotions. I just do think they're part of the curriculum of life. Um, As we transition from one stage to another, it can be really difficult. Um, And I was finding this particular transition fairly devastating. And so to catch you up, if I didn't, uh, if you didn't listen to the past episode, I eventually sort of from this terrible place of, of, a deep, deep hole, almost out of desperation, grasping in fear of just maybe being washed away by that current into an even deeper hole, I decided to jump into applying for grad school. And and I will tell you that that did not feel exciting. It didn't, I wasn't feeling, doing it out of a sense of motivation or, um, a strong desire it it felt like a survival like a grab onto something familiar something that you decided in your previous life you would do at this point and even though it doesn't feel right just you know do it because what the hell else are you going to do it felt like that you know and so that was kind of a testimony to me that we can we can actually do things and try things out long before we feel ready, even if we feel the opposite of it. And of course, there are like masses of caveats to that. If you are feeling burned out and awful and your inner soul is telling you absolutely no, don't do this thing, you should listen to those instincts. Um, I, at the time, was just so out of touch with my inner soul that I had to remember plans I had when I felt like a different person who did have joy and did have confidence. And so that's why I went for it. I was going with decisions that a person who I had more confidence in had made before the person I was feeling right then. So there is, you know, there's nuance in this. I just wanted to put that out there again. Um, But I did apply and it was a difficult application process. It was Um, I have applied to uh, um, grad programs at different schools before, and this was by far the most rigorous um, application. It required lots more than I've had to do in the past. And when I recorded last podcast episode, I think 
a day or a day and a half earlier, I had completed the last phase. I got through to the last phase, which was exciting and gratifying, considering where I come from. And that was an interview, which had been um, a fairly, like, it was all encompassing. I had to show who I was as a leader, but also as a collaborator, but also try to sell myself, but also give other candidates the chance to sell themselves and um, balance all that and be able to shine, but without monopolizing and, you know, sort of show off different facets and pieces of knowledge and also come up with ideas and answers on the fly because I was usually asked for my opinion last when there were lists of questions, the same question that everybody was asked. So it was like creatively also quite demanding. And I had come out of that and just after a couple of hours felt really kind of shell-shocked, like, whoa, that was, that was a lot, but I did it, you know, I did that. And I'm just realizing right now that that was a lot. And wow, who'd have thunk that, you know, the me of a month or so ago could have even done that. And then that was enough. And I was talking about that last week at length, how, you know, engagement is enough. Trying out for things is enough. Being happy um, with the attempt and letting go of our attachments to outcomes which are not in our control. Um, and I'm happy to say I just was truly sincere about that. That wasn't a cover for I don't care if I get in or not. I still had a lot of hope in my heart that I would. I still really wanted to. It's a great program and I, um, one that I really thought would be a good fit for me. And so there was still that anticipation and that hope. And that's the thing. You don't have to sort of sacrifice one for the other and just become numb inside. But you can have the faith that... Um, the universe has your back, whatever that is, that there's a benevolent force, you know, that Albert Einstein talks about, is the universe a friendly place or not? And I've decided that it is a friendly place and that when I actively engage with it by sort of attempting things and indicate I'm down for you, like helping me out. And honestly, to be perfectly honest, I would say that over like loud, you know, out loud. Like, hey, you know, whatever's out there that's that's on my side, and I do believe, you know, there are people who have passed on, relatives of mine, friends of mine, and a, and a benevolent universal force, and whatever that is to you, um, maybe it's just good energy, maybe it's good karma, maybe it's God, um, or goddess, or a bunch of gods, I don't know, um, but I did, I did really sort of like indicate um hey, I'm, I'm like, I'm really like happy for, for the help, the assistance, the guidance. I'm down for it. I'm like open to this and I, I feel good about it. And so all of that led me to just a really peaceful place of what will be will be, but that doesn't mean that you don't have preferences and that you're not a human being and that you don't have a secret hoping or a not so secret hoping. And my, my hoping was not so secret. I did really want to make that program. And, um, I'm glad that I recorded how I felt then and that now that, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm like reinforcing that, that sense of being okay with whatever outcome, um, that I have that on tape for myself, if nobody else, because it really was enough at that point. It, it felt like I'm good. I've done a good, good thing. Um, 
And so I was really surprised that just as I finished that podcast, I was scrolling um, my email and I was like, what is this? And it said, um, you know, please, please sign your, the, your acceptance. Please sign that your, your intent to, uh, to come to Northwestern. And I was like, this is, this is confusing. This is not a form that I've seen. Like, what did I miss? What did I not submit? And then I saw that there was an email saying, congratulations, you've been accepted like the very next day. And I hadn't even had to wait the eight weeks or the four weeks that they told me. And it was just, it took me several moments to process what had happened. Um, And I was like, seriously, like this is what? At that point, it was so much in my mind that it was a real cherry on top. And I think it was also because, you know, I wasn't anticipating the answer for quite some time, but it felt I was delighted. I was really delighted. And I still am. I'm absolutely ecstatic. Um, But I was so glad that I had also separated in my mind that I was also good with just having tried and that that attempt would lead to wherever I next needed to be, even if it wasn't at Northwestern. Um, I did, in fact, sign that intent to attend, and so I will be going there, hopefully, if financial aid and everything else works out, um, starting January. Um, and so, yeah, that is my, that's big, exciting news. If you, if you don't follow me on social media and you haven't seen that, that's my big, happy announcement. And, um, yeah, another good thing. So, like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a separate thing from the application, which felt like an accomplishment and was an accomplishment in and of itself. And that's sort of the message that I'm trying to convey here is that um, coming from a dark place and being willing to engage in attempts is the point of life. Um, I was thinking today, though, that maybe the point of life, I think about this a lot, is to start off as an innocent, curious, open little baby um, who has just got nothing but trust in its heart and in itself and its environment and then work our way back to being that kind of confident and open and loving and non-judgmental and getting back to that original self and carrying with us, of course, wisdom and compassion and things that we've learned along the way. But if our souls and our sort of spirits can come back to that place of pure self-love, self-acceptance and self-confidence and then peace in our environments and peace in... um the fact that, you know, just because we fail in an attempt doesn't make us a failure, doesn't mean that we should stop doing things. I mean, just, I do love babies. And so I think I talk about them a lot on this podcast. But when I think about the extreme amount of progress we make in just a year, we come into the world as infants, who honestly, we just can't do a damn thing for ourselves, we can't do anything. And we don't know very much at least in terms of how to survive this this planet and this earthly experience, we're very, very much dependent on our environment and on our caregivers. And then within this startlingly short period of time, we go from just 
being able to cry and poop and like sometimes not even eat properly you know some babies really need a lot of encouragement and teaching just to suck milk um we within a year many of us are walking around by ourselves we have preferences for things we're using you know different kinds of tools you know my I had a I had a kid one of my own children didn't walk for a long time because he had a carved um wooden crocodile that he would just sit on his bottom and just scoot around and and pull things close towards him like as a tool I mean, he had already figured that out until one day I accidentally stood on it and broke it. And then he was like on the move the next day. So we are like incredibly innovative by the time we're one. And before we figured out things, we know who cares for us. We can say some words. Um, we're eating solid food. We come, you know, and we're, we're learning all about those things. We can recognize people we can play games little rudimentary games and we can move around and we're learning a whole language we're amazing we're doing so many things and we're also incredibly vulnerable at that age you know we we fall over all the time and our heads are huge and we're always like leading with the head when we do fall and getting I mean if you look at a one-year-old they almost always have like some kind of bruise on their huge little foreheads because they're clonking that thing on the ground or on furniture all the time but they're also so enthusiastic they're not like bowed down by life they're not cowards but they are brave and and enthusiastic and they're incredibly curious right all they want to do is open doors and open drawers and open boxes and pull things out and examine them and look at them and engage with them and it's so um chaotic <laughs> if you're their caregiver but this is them doing the work of learning they are learning about their environments and this is how they progress so quickly because they are like relentlessly curious and imagine if you had a baby who was just not curious at all they were just content to sit and stare at one space they didn't want to examine anything they didn't make a single noise or sound or chaos they didn't pull open any drawers or doors and they weren't moving around or experimenting with their limbs they wouldn't progress they would be developmentally delayed and this is how we find out if a baby or a child is developmentally delayed delayed because they lack the same kind of curiosity or they don't display it in in an ordinary way and i wonder when we just stop um recognizing the extreme importance in curiosity uh, i wonder when we just stop being curious in our daily lives because i know so many grown-ups um and frankly younger people i know teenagers i know children who are not very curious that they've just stopped being curious they're very fine with what they already know and i think we also know um, how problematic that can be we know that people who stop um, wanting to learn or being curious about the world each other or anything they haven't already decided to be true for themselves tend to struggle with relationships they tend to struggle with ambition and they tend to struggle um, with being you know 
valuable contributors to the world. This is what leads to bigotry. This is what leads to biases that can be really dangerous, not just for them, for others, but also for themselves. I was recently volunteering to try to get out um, the information about the latest COVID um, vaccination booster. And I was assigned some really elderly people to call. And they were, you know, mostly very pleasant on the phone. Um, but I was astonished that there were, I'm going to, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm going to divulge all the information of what I was doing, you know, voluntarily, but that there was definitely more than one who had survived this worldwide pandemic at an advanced age, right? And they had received the shots and a booster already who were like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I believe. I don't know if I believe in this. And I'm like, well, you know, you are alive probably because you got the last one, you know, for whatever reason. And one woman was saying, yeah, well, it was just my, <laughs> it's just the, you know, my place of work where, or where I was volunteering required it. And that's why, but it was just so, you know, it was like, I don't believe in them. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I mean, that kind of lack of, and all the other people who, who heard one thing right at the beginning of the pandemic and decided that was that, and they were not curious or, or, you know, open to the fact that doctors and scientists had lots of information that you could, you know, build a really convincing case for yourself if you wanted to. They just were like settled in their decision, in that bias. And that, that is, you know, the lack of curiosity is what can kill us rather than they say curiosity killed the cat. I think it's, I think it's often um, the lack thereof. It can definitely kill our desire to expand our lives, expand our horizons, see what else we can do. Um, it can kill our progress, and that's for sure. Um, so today I just wanted to talk about how embracing curiosity has given me confidence and erased anxiety. I um, will always struggle with anxiety that will pop up, you know, out of nowhere, because, well, not seemingly out of nowhere, because there are triggers in life. And I think that there's nothing wrong with people feeling like, look, uh, I have to um, also be sensible about things and I have to be careful about things. And, and you know, that leading to maybe a bit of guardedness and, and there's wisdom in that sometimes. Um, we can't really be going full throttle at life like a baby does in, in every single regard because we don't have somebody overseeing us all the time to protect us. And um, there's certain expectations of us as a grown-up to make wise decisions and, and measure things out. But um, if we could just adopt that joyful curiosity when we're given the choice between it and doubt and or fear, I think it's a much more productive way to live and it will get us places quicker. It will overcome um, mental blocks, at least in my experience. It has been so, so helpful. So I was like, wow, it's amazing, really, how 
the, in the last little while, I have found myself feeling very curious about things and, and following that curiosity has made me feel almost, you know, commensurate in having no anxiety. The more curious I am, the less anxious I am. The more genuinely interested I am in a process, the less concerned I am about the outcome. Um, the more, you know, open-minded I am, the less concerned I am regarding the judgment of others. And the le- more, like, gung-ho I am to do all sorts of things. Um, here's another, here's another example. So I, um, probably mentioned in one of my, my recent podcasts that my daughter and I had, had signed up for a half marathon. Um, we were raising money for the children's hospital. It's a race that I've done in the past. I've done the half marathon a few times and that was the full marathon I ran. And it's a race that means a lot to me. And then both of us turned up injured within a week of each other, which was unfortunate. I think it might have been um, a combination of our of our training and the location that we were doing it in. And we both ended up in physical therapy. And so too bad, so sad for that race. It's just one of those things that runners have to occasionally deal with that we can't, you know, we can't do the race that we signed up for. And we were just, you know, accepting of that. So I went to physical therapy a few times and I've been working on things. And then I noticed um, the morning of the day that you have to pick up the packets, which is the day before the race, which was this last weekend, that I didn't actually notice any pain in my Achilles tendon, which is where I've been, you know, injured and I've been dealing with in physical therapy. And for some reason, I also felt a wild sense of curiosity and desire to just go see what I could do at this race with, again, no attachment to the outcome. I was like, I wonder how far I could at least walk it because I really like the environment of it and I've signed up for it and, you know, I kind of want to just go and get my bib and my shirt and my my daughter's shirt so that at least she has it. And I would just like to see, like, can I walk three miles of it? Could I just get on that course a little bit and and, you know, see all the great people who are lining it and see all the little patients, um, the children's champions, they're called, um, for this race. They, they select, uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital selects some of their, their, their patients um, who sponsor or are sponsored for each mile. And they stand there and they cheer you on and they have a little, like, they have a little bunch of a little team there and it's it's just really sweet and it's really encouraging and inspiring and all that stuff so I was like I'd like to at least see a couple of those little kids um but it was fully just curiosity there was no attachment to outcome because I knew like I have not trained at all in six weeks and the furthest I've trained for this distance in over a year is seven miles which is when I dropped out and I'm gonna be honest at seven miles and was very slow and it was painful and the training had not gone well. I had not enjoyed this season of training at all. It just wasn't, it wasn't working out. It didn't feel good and I wasn't like a fan. So I was really pretty 
pretty interested in why I had this strong desire suddenly to get out there for a half marathon that I had no training for that had recently been injured in the attempt of training and just there was just no good reason and it's also two and a half hours away we had to get a hotel room we had to drop out our other plans we had actually got tickets for something else that afternoon and and now I was gonna like give them up and just drive two and a half hours to another city hope to find a hotel room and see how far I could go on this race that I've not done a damn thing to prepare for really it was very weird but it just felt so fun in my heart (laughs) it just felt so exciting like wow I just want to know what my body can do I want to see where it you know taps out it was so weird but fun and I'm like follow that fun what are you gonna do you know what what's the big deal so it starts hurting and then you stop big deal like just go for it why not and fortunately I have the most supportive husband in the entire world who was like okay cool let's do it you know and so we also happened to have kids around that weekend all the kids who who were willing to watch Ella and um you know just kind of like supervise her and that was very nice of them just out of the blue to do that and we got in the car drove like hell so that I could get my bib before that closed got there just in the nick of time and found a hotel right close to the race which was a great thing because the next morning what happened we found out we had overslept by 45 minutes and so this, under any other circumstances, any other time that I have been attached to the outcome of a race, then I have been like, I cannot get below this time. I've been so stressed. The whole thing has been so miserable and tense. Um, I would have lost my mind. I would have just had a huge panic attack. And I'm just like, so big deal. But like, what, you're moving your legs for a couple of hours and, you know, so you get there late, who cares? Like, it's not as if you're going to be breaking any records there, girl. Um, But it's still, it's nice to be there from the start because they have fireworks and it's all part of the experience. So we were like, well, traffic's going to be too terrible this time. We may as well, we may as well just walk. And so we had another walk jog tacked on. This was Aaron, who was not signed up for any of the race, poor thing. Um, jogging through the dark city streets to get to the, the race in time on top of this other 13 miles that was ahead of me completely untrained. And I was just thinking, this is like fun. This is fun because I've never seen the city, um, this part of the city at all. I, I don't think I'd ever seen it. And I certainly haven't seen it in this beautiful sort of pre-dawn light and all the lighting and it's got gorgeous lit bridges and buildings and it was so pretty and even though I'm 45 minutes late and just if I really push is going to get there for the start I had to stop and take pictures because I'm like look how beautiful this is and I was just appreciating it all with this like you know sense of wonder like this is good this being here right now is so fun um if I had have driven, I wouldn't have seen this and just appreciating that and feeling really relaxed and happy and not barking at my husband and making it a big neurotic scene. We were just chuckling to ourselves as how ridiculous we were and 
how ridiculous all of this was, but also enjoying the sights, the sounds. <laughs> I happened to see an old friend in this throng of thousands of people as I'm lining up, who was cheering on her son on his first half marathon. And that was super fun. And I got to the the corral and realized I hadn't put on the ankle brace that I had purchased the night before as a sort of concession to wisdom because I figured I might need a little bit more support. And I'm just thinking to myself, if I had come with not this this sense of curiosity, if I would have come with this attachment to outcome, this desire to do the race in a specific amount of time, the self-judgment, um, and all the pressure that I usually put on myself and the concerns of other people and others, other people's expectations of me. Um, it, all of this wouldn't have been fun. This wouldn't have been a good time. And it was a good time. I had the best time. It was great. And I'm just like, wow, man, what have I been doing my whole life? Why do I lead with so much angst? It doesn't get me anywhere good. It's nothing but like unempowering and stressful and unattractive. It repels people from you. It it gets other people anxious too. And just a sense of relaxation and joy and enjoyment and curiosity um, is such a... a fun way to go about living your life. So I managed to get the little ankle brace on in the nick of time and just join the bunch of people with no idea how long I was going to be able to go. And wouldn't you know, as we we leaving the corral, I hear some women speaking with an African accent, a group of them. And I'm always excited when I hear um, African people speaking to each other and so I hustle over and I'm like I'm from South Africa where are you guys from and they say oh we're from Kenya um, and I was like well your people you know usually win <laughs> and they were like yes they do um, but we we're a walking team we walk and I was like that is so cool like I think that I need to walk this too um, so maybe I can hang out with you guys and they were super friendly and nice and and it was like so I walked a couple of miles and then I discovered, no, it's, it's like not what I do. My body doesn't have any muscle memory for walking past a couple of miles. If I go past a couple of miles, I'm generally jogging. So um, my hips started to hurt and stuff. I started to feel muscles I'd never felt before. And I was like, I, I can't actually walk, sadly. I'm going to have to run. This is unfortunate. We'll see how far I can get before my injury flares and I'll just have to drop out altogether. But then again, I was like, well, I'll see you guys. Um, or maybe you'll catch up with me and I'll be cheering you along on the side of the road because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to run. But I'm curious. And I genuinely was just curious. And then, you know, I little by little, every mile that passed, I was still in it. And I was like surprised and curious to see if I would make it to the next one. And I kept making it to the next one. And then I made it to the end. And it was just funny. It was funny because it was unexpected and um, a little bit silly. And, you know, look, maybe not the wisest thing, but I also 
um, a veteran enough to know when enough is enough and when a pain means you're being injured. And stunningly enough, I had no new injuries. Of course, the next day I felt like I'd been hit by a truck because I haven't moved my body in any way <laughs> at all. Um, for over six weeks, I, I've really, I have no fitness. I'm in the worst shape of my life. And then I sort of, um, at least jogged most of 13 plus miles. By the end of the day, I'd done 17 miles on a very, very unfit body. And so that Monday I was not feeling great, but today, um, yesterday and today I feel fine. So I was just really grateful to follow that impulse of, curiosity. It will get you so many more places and make life so much more fun. So how do we, um, how do we sort of instill more curiosity into our lives? I was also interested to see how curiosity leads to confidence and whether there were studies of that, psychological studies and, you know, to see, because I was like, I've really noticed that I have almost limitless confidence when I engage with curiosity rather than when I engage with the ego or even um, a goal or the sort of drive, a concern for the outcome, um, I'm so much more relaxed and confident in the outcome, just or just in the attempt, shall I say, when I'm curious. So I want to see if there's any data to prove that. And um, I will talk about whether there is or not right after this. So come on back. We'll also discuss how to get more curious and more confident after this. And we're back. Um, in the first half, I was just talking about how um, living in a place of curiosity has helped me to move out of that sense of crisis mode where I was functioning fully in a, a sort of, you know, state of anxiety and concerns over outcome, over what people would think, over what might or might not happen. Um, and just it's a really burdensome, exhausting, stressful way to live. Whereas when you switch into your curious mind, um, whatever happens isn't, you know, it's just part of an experiment. It isn't a um, a win or a lose. It's just like, wow, look at that, you know. And when we sort of uh, approach life in the way that a young child does, or perhaps as a scientist doing an experiment, um, which is maybe a, a not such a great example. Usually they have a hypothesis they're hoping to prove, or they're hoping for some kind of specific outcome in order to get to a, um, you know, to make some kind of scientific progress. But there are times where they just are interested in something one way or another. And I think the more we can engage this, this beginner's mind, this, this childlike um, curiosity, I know for me, it's made me so much more confident and, and just calm, calm and confident. And it's helped me to live life um, lately, at least, to feeling a lot less burdened and a lot lighter and have significantly more resources to help other people um, and to, you know, be a better mother, to be a better wife, to be a better friend. It's honestly freed up so much of that inner dialogue that weighs you down and truly exhausts you and makes you so irritable and depleted by the end of the day that you don't have a lot for other people. 
And I have been noticing that I just have more capacity to give people since I've been able to um, access this more, well, what they call the beginner's mind. Um, and so much so that I did a, a tiny modicum of research um, and it couldn't even really be called research. I just read up on whether there's a connection between confidence and curiosity. And of course there is. There are several psychological experiments and studies that have been done that indicate that there is absolutely a connection between encouraging um, curiosity, at least very much so in children, and and their confidence levels late, later, which obviously um, also lead to their overall success. And, you know, kids that are given the opportunity to take um, risk and, and, you know, accomplish something despite a risk, even if there was a small risk of them hurting themselves, they were encouraged to take risks and to, um, you know, to see what they could do, to see what their bodies were capable of, what their minds were capable of. Those kids had much, much more confidence um, you know, demeanors, they were observed to be a lot more confident and outgoing, and also that they would make lots of attempts. And truly, you know, we all know that statistically, the more attempts you make at things, the more likely you are to have an outcome at all. You know, you don't get into a college um, program of any kind if you don't apply. We know that, that's for sure. Um, sorry, I'm busy trying to balance my microphone, which is also coming to the party here with some complications today. Um, we don't, you know, there's a famous quote that you, you miss all the shots that you don't take. I think that might be Michael Jordan. I'm not sure. But if you don't take a shot, you don't have any, there's no option of success one way or the other. If I didn't decide to follow my curiosity regarding this race, um, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. I would absolutely know for sure that I wouldn't have a medal at the end of it. Um, but that wasn't my full goal. My goal wasn't a medal. It was just to see what I could do. And in the end, I did get one, but it was only on the embarking thereof. So it's, it's important, you know, obviously, we are very aware of the importance of fostering curiosity in kids and allowing them to take um, risks within reason and and build their confidence by succeeding from that. And then we sort of stop. We stop emphasizing the importance on that as if somehow at a certain age, it's fine. It's fine to not encourage curiosity. It's, it's fine to, to actually actively discourage risk. How often do we as adults tell each other, be careful, oh, that sounds risky, don't do it, or you need to be more careful. Even my kids, honestly, I was so surprised and I don't know if I was slightly galvanized by this um, because I don't think of myself as old, which because I'm not, but I don't think of myself, I tend to just sort of see myself almost as my kids as peers a lot of the time. And I always sort of have this this weird idea in my mind that we grew up together. We're part of a pack. I've talked about that before. So when it occurs to me that they see me as significantly older, because of course I am and I'm their mother, I'm always like surprised, not in a negative way. It's kind of a novelty. I'm like, oh, 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 these kids see me as like a whole grown up. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. And 
you know, I'm sure I appear that way to them, um, far older to them than I appear or in my own mind. I often appear far older to myself when I see myself in a mirror than I think of myself. So I think it's just a common phenomenon. But when my kid, um, my oldest son, when I sort of pondered this the night before and was like, you know, this was before I woke up the next day and was like, I really, really want to do it. I just seen on the calendar, oh, this was the day I was supposed to be running that half marathon. Maybe I should still, that would be fun. And then my son very soberly, and he's, um, he is a scientist. He is, he's, uh, you know, a sensible fella. And he said, you know, mom, you are not 25 <laughs> and you're in physical therapy and you're injured. And, you know, a, a body of your age doesn't recover from an injury in the same way that a 25-year-old could, would. You don't really have the same capacity. Now, all of this is fully true, and I do not begrudge him this one second. He speaks the truth that mostly a body of, you know, 45 is not going to respond in the same way as a 25-year-old will, especially if you're desperately out of shape and you've done nothing but sit on the couch for the last six weeks. I could totally see where he's coming from, but it just sort of struck me as amusing. I was like, oh, am I supposed to be like grown up and taking, you know, special cautious care of my body? You know, that's so funny. It just struck me as funny because it's not how I think. And that I realize is a huge privilege. It's huge. And I'm so grateful for it. But then the fact that I then went and what a privilege that is led me to think, but since I don't really have to think about that, shouldn't I take, you know, advantage of the days that I still get to sort of just be impulsive like this, you know, because I do have a cooperative body. Let's just see. And maybe this will be the last chance that I do get to do this. Who knows? There was that sort of thing. There was more of that building curiosity. But it led me to think about how often we as adults thinking um, we're being good and responsible and like um, wise will sort of stifle the curiosity of ourselves and others. Because when I suggested, well, you know what, I, I'm just curious to see how far I can go. I'm not going to push it. Um, I'm just going to get out there and, you know, maybe be done after a mile and a half or, or, or less. It doesn't, you know, it really doesn't matter to me. I just kind of want to be there. Then everybody was like, oh, well, I suppose you could do that. I suppose so. You know, it was just like we don't really engage with the world with curiosity and without sort of a dedication to outcomes when we become a grown-up. Everything is very, very serious. You're in it to win it or you're in it to finish it. You're not in it just to have fun. And when I was just like, well, I could just be in it to have fun and just go for a little while and then walk to the side and cheer other people on, they were like, oh, okay, I guess that could be fine. But we don't do that. Whereas when a baby is just sort of wandering around a house, uh, you know, emptying drawers and banging on pots and pans and just creating havoc, we're just like, that's what babies do, man. That is what babies do. And they do it to learn. Why do we stop just doing things randomly, doing lots of different things randomly? Why do we discourage each other from that? Why are we always so dedicated to making sure people select a path, stay on that single path, learn all there is to do about that path, and then stay stuck in that rut? You know, so long as they're making good money. Um, 
it just strikes me as sad. It, it leads to stagnation. It leads to a lack of progress. In a lot of cases, it leads to depression. It leads to a sense of uh, like unfulfillment and sort of this tug of longing that we don't really know what it's about. And that can lead to some really negative um, behaviors like addiction or, you know, disloyalty in, in our relationships because we just bored and unfulfilled. So I think that, you know, this idea of cultivating a beginner's mind and engaging in curiosity is not just this frivolous idea of, don't you guys want to have giddy fun with me and just apply to universities that you may or may not be able to afford or get into? Or don't you want to just go on races that you're not trained for? Like I am sort of throwing out some sort of extreme and perhaps frivolous sounding experiments um, but those bear in mind are just things that are noteworthy that I've done in the last couple of months that's not really how what I mean when I'm saying apply it to most of your life in order to progress um, you can be very intentional very and should be very intentional about how you engage with curiosity because if you're curious about everything um, and you can't really, then you're not going to, you're going to be fairly chaotic in the way you, um, ask questions and they might not really lead any to anything very fulfilling. You know, you might be like, I am waking up and curious about everything. And then you're wrecking a room just like a baby does. It is good to have to slowly, def, you know, refine our curiosity and focus it in one space at a time. That is good. It's just as long as we're engaging with that emotion of curiosity and what we're doing. But it's very, very, very helpful um, to acknowledge that as grown-ups, there is also a lot of fulfillment in being specific is not really the word what is the word I'm going to come up with a with a better word than specific but let that be a holding space right now how about purposeful okay having purposeful curiosity um, which means asking the right kinds of questions and I found um, somebody who who was talking about using curiosity to get ahead in business so this was actually I think it was like I don't know maybe I've written it down somewhere it was actually, okay, I thought it was in Forbes magazine because I was reading a few articles from different publications for this. But this one, this woman was in Modern Health. And um, the, the article was called Empowering Yourself with Curiosity. And I think that really encapsulates what I'm trying to get across here. That I feel so much more empowered and freed up from the burden of uh, fear and nerves and judgment of both of my own and other people's um, by having sort of purposeful curiosity right now. And she talked about making sure that you're, that you get, you know, you might have bunches of questions when you're engaging with other people, but then determine what are the right questions in order to get, you know, what do I truly want to know? Maybe I'm interested in a, this in a broad scope, but what would I like to know more about right now? So ask the right question. And then when you do that and you're with other people, um, you also have the opportunity then to demonstrate your understanding of the topic already. Maybe you do some background work. Um, it also allows you to highlight your interest 
in something and somebody other than yourself. So this works in really, um, you know, making you a more attractive person as a candidate for, for business, for a raise, for a promotion, for any kind of application, a new job, you know, getting into college, getting into a graduate program, whatever. Um, just interested people are interesting to others. And it really highlights that you are engaged with the world around you. If you're curious, that's a grand thing. People are looking for curious people because if you're just a sort of like, I'm really satisfied with what I know, I don't want to know anymore. Um, you're not going to be very teachable. You're not going to be very flexible. You're not going to be very engaging. Um, and so, yeah, igniting your curiosity will make you just inherently a more attractive person in every way. Um, it also just showcases your competence in any area. If you decide that you're curious about something, you start to learn something about it, but then you ask, ask more questions about it. Oh, Sharka is, is moving positions. <laughs> he's decided he's done with my voice on this bit. Um, then um, you are going to endear yourself to others if you are giving them information that they didn't have to go and research. So if you find that you've got something, that you're curious about something that's value added, you'll find that people are attracted to you because you have information. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's a great thing. My interest in mental health has allowed me to... Um, Bless the lives of others, even without a um, official degree or without a credential, just gathering information in various ways, in various areas of life um, that I've been curious about through the years. Um, you know, it's involved childbirth and, you know, whatever phase I'm in in my life, I have really engaged in with curiosity. So when I was raising kids, I was really interested in little kids and their health. And, you know, or breastfeeding babies, I was interested in overcoming difficulties to do with that and did a lot of research. And then I tried to pass that information on. And um, that curiosity has served me so well, but it's not only served me so well, it served others so well. Uh, they have been endeared to me because of it, just as I am endeared and I feel a huge debt of gratitude to other people who have done the research, who have done the work, who have followed their curiosity in every area from politics to environmentalism to, you know, house repairs and everything in between. I am so grateful when people engage with life with enthusiasm and curiosity and do that work and then offer the things that they have found willingly um, and also sort of intelligently and purposefully and succinctly. That's a great combination of things. Um, so one of the ways in which we can engage with the world more curiously, like here's some concrete steps. Um, because I, I can't really say, you know, where the switch in my brain took place, where I was kind of off for a while and I wasn't feeling in touch with myself and what happened to get back into curious mode. I just know that that was the mode that I needed to be in and that one that I'm really committed to staying in because it's best for me. Um, but so if you're just out of that mode or you've never been or you never sort of identified yourself as a particularly curious person, it is a skill. It is a skill that can be cultivated. It is a muscle that can be built. You can, in fact, 
grow in curiosity. Um, and one of the very, very sort of solid and and um, doable ways in which you can start to to flex that curiosity muscle is instead of asking the question why, both of yourself, your spouse, the world, others, instead of using the word why, be more specific and ask what, when, where, and how. Because that automatically replaces the pressure of right versus wrong in lots of cases. Let's take the example of the race and see if that works, if it works, right? And this is an experiment because I have not done this. So I don't know how it's going to go. Um, instead of saying, why do you want to do this race, Kirsty? Um, I w- where I'd have to be like, well, because I just want to see if I could succeed or I want to see if I could finish or you know there's sort of like it puts you real on the spot like have a have a solid reason you know I could just and I did just say because I wanted to like it's fun because it's fun I like to be out there Um, but if somebody had said like when and where are you going to do it well I'm going to do it tomorrow I'm going to see how far I can go okay how are you going to do it well I'm just going to give it my best shot and go as far as I can okay that's that's less like invasive. It's less demanding than why, why, why would you do that? You're asking more specifics, like how are you going to engage with this experience? And asking yourself that is, is sometimes just gives you a lot more breathing room and just allows you to do things without an, hyper analyzing them into a point of paralysis. Because I have this analysis paralysis that so many other people do. Um, it's a very neurodivergent thing. We tend to overanalyze, overthink things. We tend to see like tons and tons of different steps that are required um, to do anything. And then we get very exhausted. And it really just kind of, you, you feel, you know, you'll be very motivated to do something and then you start to hyperanalyze it. And that just overstimulates you to the point that you're like, forget the whole thing. There's no way I can do it, which is why I'm pushing this idea of just actively engaging in an attempt or the first step of an attempt. This is more of what we spoke about last week. Ah, a street cleaner has come by. I hope you enjoy living in my little Richard Scarry's town um, with me during this hour. Um, here are some other real concrete things that you could do to engage in curiosity or invite curiosity into your life. You can actively set alarms on your phone um, that say, what are you curious about right now? Or just put a word curiosity and you can sit there for a moment and go, okay, I'm going to just build my little tiny weak curiosity muscle right now. I'm going to literally just look around this room and find something to be curious about. Maybe I'll research it. Maybe I'll go and examine it a little further. Um, I'm not going to see whatever is over there in the corner as a problem anymore. I'm going to go and look at it as something that I'm curious about. So for instance, I grabbed this big antique lamp off of the side of the road. And I was like, this will go perfectly in my somewhat confusing new living room decor, which I'm not entirely sure what it's about, but it's pleasing for right now. And I put this thing up. I tried to, I put a new bulb in it. I tried to plug it in. Nothing happened. And I put it on the side of the 
the dresser for a while and I was like that I've got to get to that's on my to-do list that's on my to-do list that's on my to-do list darn it you know and I'm just like it's I'm avoiding it because it's a to-do and how am I going to solve the problem of this damn lamp that's huge and cumbersome and if it's not being used I've got to put it back out on the street even though it's really pretty to me and it's an antique and I hate to do that um suddenly I was like just get curious about this lamp man just see ways in which you could possibly use it and 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 see what you maybe you know how we can make it work how can we make it work let's get curious about how to make it work so then it suddenly did became a lot less daunting then I was like you know there are these things that you can buy that are just emergency light bulbs that the you know I can just cut the cord of the lamp and this emergency light bulb can be on all the time it's an LED thing and it would be great actually if we lose power then we at least have this one light bulb so I'm saying to my husband I think I'm just going to get one of those it's fine and then he's like well let me see if it will you know fit in this very very ancient old casing and while he's doing it he just and suddenly the lamp goes on it just, he needed, you know, the little latch to turn it on and off was broken. And all he needed to do was sort of jiggle it around. And then he hooked it up to Alexa. And now the lamp is fully functioning. We didn't have to buy the emergency light bulb and all as well. And it was only, it would still have been on my to-do list that I was going to procrastinate probably to the end of time. Um, if I hadn't have just gone, well, let's get curious about it. Instead of it being a problem, a to-do just get curious. So looking around a room at something that maybe you've designated as a problem and deciding that you're going to bring childlike curiosity to it while adding the purposefulness of being an adult to it. So it's not as chaotic as when you're a child, but it's still enlivening, right? That's an, an enlivening experience, a little bit more productive though, because you've got purpose behind it. Um... But, you know, again, productivity is not the purpose of life. It just sometimes is a little bit more fulfilling when we do have something to show for it. That's a nice feeling, too. So set up reminders for yourself. You could have a little post-it note on your computer screen or in your mirror that says, have you been curious today? Or what are you curious about? Who are you curious about? Um, I think we'll find that we actually are a lot more curious than we realize, um, which is why a lot of the time we're scrolling the internet because it's extremely interesting and it offers insight into so many different realms of the world that we are not aware of, depending on your internet scrolling habits, which this is why uh, TikTok and to a lesser extent, Instagram is endlessly fascinating to me because I will see things that I would never have seen in other, you know, in my everyday life. Um, and the algorithm knows that I'm kind of random and that I like a lot of different things. So it will serve up sort of bizarre things. And then suddenly I'm just like, dang, this is incredible. <laughs> I've got a whole new hyper focus and it's something that's actually fulfilling and serves my life in some way in the end. So I think we do all have that spark of curiosity inside of us. And it's just basically let's stoke it and let's harness it and let's make it work for us because the more curiosity you have going on inside your brain, the less space there is for self-doubt, the less space there is for nervousness and concern and the more playful you are. And I don't know, I, I look at a lot of, you know, highly successful people. Obviously, there's quieter ones and there's people that are way more out there in the spotlight and we're going to know about them more. But all the people that I know sort of of, because they're 
highly spotlighted in the public eye or people that I personally know who are quieter, but I know their demeanors, who are highly successful or they've accomplished a lot of things in their life, a wide variety of things, I notice that they all are curious. They're very curious people and they do have a positive demeanor about them. They're kind of playful. They're people who have a zest for life. Now, I'm sure that there are people out there who are crusty and very successful and they don't, they seem fairly bigoted and set in their ways. They exist too. But I don't think that the world is catering to that kind of thing as much anymore. Um, You know, I think that this world is very fast paced and it rewards curiosity. I know, though, that it does reward peace of mind. It rewards your, you know, if you have an anxiety disorder, if you try to replace concern and judgment or assumptions, or bias um, for others, and for yourself, and usually whatever you're putting out there is a, for others is a mirror on how you're feeling about yourself, almost always, but the more you replace those kind of very limiting beliefs and emotions with just open, genuine curiosity, and the delight of the attempt, the more you're going to attempt things. And the more you attempt things, the more the um, chance you have of succeeding at them. You know, you again, you miss all the shots you don't take. And the more successes you, you make, the more what confidence you're going to get. And this, the whole cycle will continue. And life is just going to be a lot more fun. So today, I would like to leave you once again with the words of Albert Einstein. He finds his way into this podcast, doesn't he? Um, he said, I am neither clever, I am neither, or is it neither? I always forget which way I, I speak. Um, I'm neither or neither clever, nor especially gifted. I am only very, very curious. And yeah, let's all be a lot more curious, shall we? I think the world will be a different place. Um, on both a micro and a macro level, I actually did have one more thing that I wanted to discuss. I'm almost at the end of my time, but um, I have a book called The Comfort Book by Matt Haig, and a dear friend gave this to me at a time that I was really needing comfort, and I really appreciate her. Um, But there's a little passage about something called the discomfort zone, and we talk so much about staying in our comfort zones and breaking out of our comfort zones, and it is daunting. I mean, who wants to do that? We like, as humans, to be comfortable. We like it. It's nice. And and we spend a good deal of time actively working towards comfort, working towards, you know, being more comfortable in our bodies and making our homes a comfortable and safe place to live. That is a human sort of drive. It's primal and it is a, a worthy pursuit. So if we stop looking at being where we are right now as our comfort zone and actually look at it as something dis that's uncomfortable and as the discomfort zone. I think we're going to be better off. A little chicken that's in a that's growing in its egg is eventually going to bust out of that egg, right? It's going to not feel comfortable. It will stop serving it. And when we think about, you know, when we lecture each other to get out of your comfort zone and go do things, it's immediately it, it brings up a wall for me. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, why would I want to do that? I like being comfortable. I've worked hard to be comfortable. If we start to see where we are now and maybe that nagging sense that's tugging at us when we are just sort of stagnating, 
as the discomfort zone rather than the comfort zone, I think we might be better off. It is an unfulfilled place to be. If you are sitting in a place where you're like, I'm not quite motivated to do what I feel like I need to and want to do. Um, but just sitting here is also gross. Like, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. That nagging is not comfortable. You are actually, if you're experiencing those emotions, you're not in your comfort zone. And I would submit that you're actually going to be significantly more comfortable just obeying that call. And it doesn't have to be a huge big deal. It just has to be engaging in the next step. That can often just crack that little egg for you and let you spread your wings enough to feel better. You don't have to walk all the way out of the egg. You don't have to bust out of it and walk out and shake off your feathers and start running around like drying off. You don't have to do that. You just have to maybe just like crack it open a little bit so that you can stretch just a bit and see how that feels. It might be more comfortable to do that. That might be what you need to do and just start and then maybe get more curious about what it would feel like to stretch even a little bit more. So stop thinking about where you are now with that nagging desire as your comfort zone. That's not comfortable. That's not a good feeling. And start thinking about maybe stretching a bit as creating the comfort. That's going to be more comfortable. That has been such a huge, I mean, I didn't think of it in these terms until I read that, which is such a good way of looking at it. And you can read the passage for yourself, get the book. Um, I've, you know, paraphrased the idea of it. But it really has helped me to, to face things with a lot less fear and dread, to realize that I'm not giving up my comfort to do hard things. Um, I'm giving up my discomfort to do the things that my inner self just wants to do and is clearly ready to do. Otherwise, it wouldn't be nagging so much or just sort of tugging and harping. It just wants to stretch. Let it stretch. You're not getting, you're not, it's, you know, you're not like jumping into a freezing cold ocean that doesn't feel good. You're actually just creating more space for yourself in that confined egg that was once very comfortable and nourishing and no longer is. It's time for just more space. That's it. So I hope that can be an inspiring and helpful thought to you as you, as you maybe sort of cave or, <laughs> or stretch or just give in to those longings or those yearnings just the littlest bit. It's not, it doesn't have to be scary. It really doesn't have to be scary. Um, and enjoy your, your curiosity, your purposeful curiosity. Um, let me know how it goes. If you have any experiences, no matter how small and insignificant they might seem, they could be a huge big leap in, in the direction you've always wanted to go, or they could just be you picking up something that's always bothered you in the corner of your room and becoming curious about it and, and finding out something about it. That's it. That's all that's required. Life is just learning, just learning a little bit more every day and sharing what we learn and, and getting a little stronger for it. So I wish you a week of comfortable curiosity and I hope to uh, welcome you back again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.